Welcome to the Life Church STL podcast. Wherever you're joining us from, we hope this message encourages and inspires you. Thanks for listening and enjoy today's message. You ready to hear the word? All right. Wonderful. You know, as you may have gathered through our worship, there's an emphasis today on mercy in these songs that we've been singing and worshiping, talking about the mercy that has been shown to us. And as I start, I want to just give a couple of definitions and kind of tear down or break open, if you will, these words. The word mercy that's used in the Bible of uh, God's mercy for us is Elias. And what it says is it's the mercy and clemency of God in providing and offering to men salvation by Christ. And that word clemency, I was trying to get a little bit deeper down into it, and I looked up clemency in this definition and just find in, in uh, any dictionary, but it's the leniency and compassion shown toward offenders by a person or agency charged with administering justice. So it's a leniency or compassion to the offender, and if you'll let me it's that, to say to all of us, the offenders, it is that compassion and that mercy and that leniency of God toward us, the one that, who is charged, God charged with that judgment of that coming and, and bringing us <laughs> into that judgment seat. And, and as we come before him, he's the one charged with calling before us all the things that, that we did wrong. And as we stand before him, but as we stand before him, he, he doesn't call out all the things that we have done wrong, but he shows mercy, but he shows leniency, clemency, compassion. He offers up not, not judgment on us, but compassion and mercy. And I don't know about you, but I just think about my life and, and all the things that I've done. And you're like, what? You've done stuff wrong. And yeah, we all have, right? None of us is perfect. Not one of us has lived our lives without sin in it. It doesn't matter what it is. And you can say, well, mine wasn't that bad. It wasn't that bad of a sin, but sin's a sin. Yeah. And I think about that mercy of God that he's shown us through Christ. Offering up him for us to be our propitiation, to be 
offered up for us so that he would see the righteousness of Christ instead of our sins. In John 8, 3, I just want to talk through a couple of different stories and just show the mercy of God. In John 8, 3, it says, Then the scribes and the Pharisees brought to him. Jesus had come into the temple, and he had, people had gathered around. He was speaking to them. And the scribes and the Pharisees, again, once again, coming before him, trying to catch him in something so that they could judge him. So they brought before him this woman, and when they had set her in the midst, they said to him, teacher, this woman was caught in adultery in the very act. Not only did we hear about it, but she was actually caught in the act of adultery. There is no questioning what has happened here. This woman has sinned. She's done it wrong. She's been caught. And thinking that that would somehow make it different. The response that they would get from Jesus, they brought her in and they threw her down. It says they set her, but I mean, I can't imagine that they were just gentle about it. And they said, now Moses in the law commanded us that such should be stoned, but what do you say? Because they're like, look, he, he's, he's not doing anything the way that we thought he would do it. And he's healing, he's showing mercy, he's doing all these things, and, and, and we are going to catch him, and we're going to call him out. This is the law. Verse 6, this they said, testing him, that they might have something of which to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down and wrote on the ground with his finger as though he did not hear. I just think about the, the silence. It must have been deafening. It must have been so unnerving. They come in. This woman needs to be judged. She needs to be stoned. What do you say? We're going to catch you. Not doing things according to the law. And he just knelt down and started writing in the dirt. Just stooped down. And they kept at him kept at him. What are you going to say? So when they continued asking him, he raised himself up and said to them, he who is without judgment or without sin among you, let him throw a stone at her first. And again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. And I think about that. That moment where they're trying to catch him in this dilemma where he is not acting according to the law that was written, that everybody was following, and accusing him of doing something and, and trying to, to catch him in this moment. And first of all, he didn't even say anything. He didn't, acted like he didn't even hear him, and he stooped down and started writing in the dirt, and then they kept going at him, and, and so then he raises himself up, and then he says, well, if anybody here is without sin, then why don't you go ahead and cast the first stone? And then he just knelt back down and started writing in this dirt, you know, below their feet. And the Bible doesn't tell us 
what he wrote on the dirt, but I'm thinking about what could have been written. And it reminded me of this scripture in James 2, 13. It says, for judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. And now this was written after this moment, you know, but maybe James is like, hey, that's a good one. I'm going to write that down. And, you know, I I don't know. I would have. But it says, for judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Then those who heard it, being convicted by their conscience, went out one by one, beginning with the oldest, even to the last, and Jesus was left alone, and the woman standing in the midst. When Jesus had raised himself up and saw no one but the woman, he said to her, Woman, where are those accusers of yours? Has no one condemned you? She said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said to her, Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Where are your accusers? Where are the ones that are without sin that can throw the first stone? And he's calling out to her saying that you might have somebody. And so many times we have people accusing us of different things. We even accuse ourselves. And that's why we don't think that we could have this mercy from Jesus. Why we don't think that he could possibly save me. Sometimes it's other people, but more times than not, it's us saying that we don't deserve it. And we're accusing ourselves. But the only one standing, the only one left there was Jesus, the one who could. The one who could throw the stone. The one that was without sin was standing there before her and told her, he says, he says where are they now? I mean, the place was a ghost town within seconds. They took off running and Jesus was standing before her and says, I don't condemn you either. I want to show you mercy. The one who could pass judgment on you is telling you, I don't do that, but I'm having compassion and leniency. Because mercy triumphs over judgment. There's a couple of ways that we can respond to things that are happening, to suffering, to things happening to us or against us. And the first being that we can just go off on God. Or that we just are asking him to like, hey, what are you doing up there? Why is this this happening to me? Why is there suffering in the world? Why do I have to walk through this suffering? Or to be called out on these things. God, why? Can't you just save me? Can't you just do something? Really coming at him. Or wanting him to be like our getaway driver in the sin that we've put ourselves in, you know? Like, hey, can you get me out of this situation that I got myself into? 
Or we can come before him knowing that we have done wrong, that we are in the place that we have brought ourselves to, but we need his mercy to get us out of it. Not because we deserved it, but because he shows it every time. Understanding who we are and who he is. And knowing that he shows mercy, not because we've done something good, but because he is good. So we come to this moment of the cross and Jesus has been beaten, bloodied after he was put on trial and accused of things that, of course, he didn't do. And he's placed up on this cross. Beside him are these two guys, these two thieves, put up next to him. And in this moment, they're hanging there on the cross, him and these two thieves on either side of him. And, and all the crowd is mocking Jesus and calling out and saying, if you just could, you know, you've saved other people. You've, you've done all these things. Why don't you call on God and have him save you? Save yourself if you're the real God. Call down your angels and have them get you off and just place you on the ground so gently. Just save yourself. And the first guy on the cross next to him is kind of going along with the, the crowd and he's like, yeah, be my getaway driver. Why don't you save yourself and hey, help me with you. Get me down too. Why don't you just do something, if you can, just save yourself and me in the process. But in Luke 23, 39, it says, Then one of the criminals who were hanged blasphemed him, saying, If you are the Christ, save yourself. And us, by the way. Save yourself. And us too. But the other one answering rebuked him, saying, the other man, the other thief, the other liar, the other cheat, he rebuked him, saying, do you not even fear God? seeing you are under the same condemnation, and we indeed justly, for we receive the due reward of our deeds, but this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said to Jesus, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said, assuredly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. See, this first thief, like I said, just kind of wants a getaway driver. Hey, get me out of this sticky situation that I put myself in. He wants, <laughs> relief without a relationship. He, he wants to be saved without the Savior. He wants something to happen without him actually knowing the one who is doing this thing for him. He's saying, you can save yourself and save me too. 
And that'd be great. And, and God sometimes steps down even when we don't know him and plucks us out of our sin and our stuff. But what Luke really wants us to get here is that man on the other side who saw things totally different. Because he didn't see somebody that like, hey, maybe he can save me and maybe he can get me down from this cross, but I don't really need to know him. So he rebuked the other thief on the other side. And said, do you not even fear God? The first thing is that he feared God. Well, really the first thing is that he didn't listen to the crowd or he wasn't swayed by the perception or the talk of all the people that were around him. One of the only people besides probably the disciples and Jesus' mother, just all, you know, there's a handful of them there that weren't mocking, that weren't jeering and, and, and yelling at him. But he wasn't swayed by any of that. He feared God. And as I say these things, I, 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 well, I'm speaking them to myself. But I'm sharing these things and wanting us to understand this, this path to the relationship that we need to have with our Savior. And what are some steps in that? Not being swayed by what is going on around us in the world and going one way or the other or deconstructing or, you know, saying, well, this, we've believed this stuff for so long, but maybe it's different. Maybe we can change what the Bible is saying. And secondly, you feared God. God was real to him. He knew God, but he was still a thief. He was a thief and he knew it. He didn't say, I'm not a thief or I didn't do anything wrong. He said, I'm up here for reasons that are of my making. But he's not. He didn't do anything to be up here. So he feared God. And in verse 41, and we indeed justly, for we receive due reward of our deeds. He admitted that he was wrong. An admission of guilt, an admission that I have been the one that has sinned against God that I've done something that is not right, that is not just, and I need saving. And he also acknowledged Jesus' righteousness, right? He says, we justly are up here. We indeed justly, for we received the due reward of our deeds, but this man has done nothing wrong. See, he accepted, he understood his unrighteousness, but saw Jesus' righteousness. He saw that he was sinless. 
that he had done nothing wrong. And in 42, then he said to Jesus, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. So he takes it a step further. He's calling out, saying, I see the righteousness of Jesus. I see my unrighteousness. I am not going along with what the crowd's saying or the mocking or jeering or calling out, telling him to save himself. But he says, I understand who this man is. And he says, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. He realizes and understands that Jesus is his king and he has a kingdom. Now think about that. For us, it might be a little bit easier because we've got all the stories and all the scriptures and all the things to to fall back on, but this man here didn't have any of that. He didn't have any of those scriptures, any of those things, and and I, I believe that in some way he was religious or knew of God or, or knew God or something because he had a, some, of a, some understanding of that. But for him to say, remember me when you get to your kingdom. Will you just remember me? Not get me down off this cross, not save me from the pain I'm in now, but God, when you're in your kingdom, when you're ruling and you're reigning, will you just think of me? I will die on this cross because I got myself here. But will you just think of me and remember me when you get to your kingdom? Because you are a king. So he fears God, admits wrong, accepts justice, acknowledges the goodness and the power of Jesus. And then he pleads for him to remember him when he steps into his kingdom. There's two different men here. Both sinners. Both have done something wrong. Both could have been saved. But there's a difference in the attitude they have to the Savior. One just wants out of the place that he got himself into, and one says, I'll stay here as long as I can be with you in your kingdom. I will die here. I will go through whatever I've put myself into because that's what I have done. But I know who you are. And you are a savior. You are a king. You are my God. You're everything that I need. I need you. And so I don't care what happens to me here, but will you please remember me when you're in your kingdom? In Ephesians, Paul says that we're all dead to our trespasses, we're all dead. We're all dead men walking. 
but God being so rich in mercy because of his great love, even when we were dead in our trespasses, even when we were just, we're dead, we're dead, all dead. Not mostly dead, but all dead. He made us alive through Christ. In Titus 3, verse 3 through 7, I'm just going to read this to you, and I, I, it's powerful. <laughs> For we ourselves were also once foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving various lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. But when the kindness and the love of God, our Savior toward man, appeared, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, not because of something that we did, but according to his mercy, according to his mercy, his compassion that he had, even the one that could put judgment on us, the one that is in that judgment seat, that place of judgment, he could stone us. Call down judgment, whatever. He could do it. But his mercy saved us through the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us abundantly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. That having been justified by his grace, we should become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Not because we did something, but because he did. In Hebrews 4.16, let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. We are dead in our trespasses. We can't do anything to get ourselves out of it. There's nothing that we can do. And like that man, that second guy on the cross next to Jesus, what we need is to understand the reality of what we've done, but more importantly, the reality of what Christ has done. The work of the cross and, and what that means for us, that he gave himself for us, that his mercy that compassion that he had for each and every one of us. Again, no matter what you've done or where you've been or how long it's been or whatever, but for each and every one of us, he stepped up to that moment of the cross. He said, because of my mercy, his mercy spoke over us. Imagine that woman that was caught in adultery and later going around. People are like, what? Surprised to see you walking around. <laughs> hey, could you imagine? I just imagine her saying, but mercy spoke for me. But mercy spoke for me. Or that man on the cross, right? 
Jesus didn't get himself down or that guy down, but I imagine him walking into heaven, and they're like, "Woo! look at you. You made it. He said, I know. I didn't do anything right in my life. I did nothing good, and I was facing judgment for it and hanging and ready to die. But mercy spoke for me. But mercy spoke for me. Would you stand with me? Thanks for listening today. We pray this message encourages you. If you have any questions or you'd like to learn more about us as a church, you can always visit us online by going to lifechurchstl.com.